This is WRFI Community Radio News. I'm Jimmy Jordan, WRFI News Director, here to tell you that normally for the podcast, we upload a recording of the live show, but we ran into some technical difficulties for the episode that aired on February 19th, 2021. The beginning of the show was not recorded. So instead, here on the podcast stream, you're going to hear just the feature content from that show. WRFI contributor Esther Rakusin was hosting. So instead of my voice, you'll hear hers later on. But first, we inspect the affordable housing issue in Ithaca. This is the story to start the show. It seems like Ithaca is changing by the month with new housing developments breaking ground on a regular basis. These projects help address the housing shortages in Ithaca, but how do they impact affordability? WRFI News Team intern Haley Aldrich has the story. It's no secret that housing in Ithaca is a contentious issue. Prices are high and there doesn't seem to be enough supply to meet the growing demand. While the new apartment complex seems to be going up every few months, the question becomes, why is the cost of housing so high, and are these new developments successful at addressing the issue? To learn more, I spoke with reporter Brian Crandall, who covers development for the Ithaca Voice. Brian spoke of the three legs of the stool that impact housing prices in Ithaca. A growing senior population, which is increasingly retiring, and college towns have seen increased interest as retirement locations. You have overall economic growth. You also had an increasing student population. And Brian explains that these three pressures are not alone in creating the housing shortage. Uh, there was a very deep and prolonged recession in Tompkins County in the early and mid-1990s that really did a number. There was kind of a a wariness among local elected officials to okay, you know, the production of large numbers of new housing after that recession, because they were always afraid of when the next bubble would burst. And mapped over the layers of this problem is another factor, geography. Ithaca is a centrally isolated place. A lot of workers commute into the city from the surrounding county, putting Ithaca under a lot of pressure to house its labor force. That's, you know, kind of where you get your, uh, your core components for the uh, creation of housing demand. The city is in a position of playing catch-up with their housing, while the demand just continues to grow. At the Ithaca City Planning Board meeting on January 26th, two new housing developments were reviewed. They represent two of the larger trends in the battle for space and housing in Ithaca. These projects are the State Street Apartments, which are still pending approval, and the recently approved, soon-to-be-reconstructed Northside Apartments. Here's Brian. So the Northside project is a redevelopment of a series of strings of townhomes that were built in the 1950s and 60s and um, are subsidized affordable housing and are um, maintained as a form of public housing. Because these units were not well-maintained, and are near the end of their useful lives. It's either replace them with something like this, or you're just not going to have them. Currently, the development has 70 units and 225 bedrooms. The redevelopment for this project was approved at the planning board meeting on January 26th. So those numbers will change to 82 units and 208 bedrooms total. 
the development is getting rid of three, four, and five-bedroom units and replacing them with one- and two-bedroom apartments. Some worry that a lower number of bedrooms means a lower number of total affordable housing in Ithaca. I can understand people being a little concerned that, you know, this removes at least a little bit of the affordability, but the stuff that was built in the 50s and 60s was more geared towards families. These days, the areas in most dire need tend to be uh, smaller unit housing, one and two bedrooms. Today, the north side apartments are more geared toward working class adults, and young families looking at three or more bedroom houses tend to be moving to outlying towns. The new north side apartments, which will result from a partnership between the Ithaca Housing Authority and a private developer, will be available for a variety of income levels, some being geared toward modern to medium income tenants and others to lower income. For current north side tenants, this redevelopment brings some uncertainty. During the redevelopment, tenants will have to relocate. The hope is that most of those who are temporarily relocated, um, it really is only temporary and they can move into a brand new unit um, after a year or two's time. Once the units are reconstructed, current Northside residents will have first pick on the new units as they're brought onto the market. For these folks, uh, I could understand them having some trepidation. Like these are people who are they're around and about in active parts of the Ithaca Tompkins community. And they typically have modest means and they just want to be able to have a, a good solid roof over their head and a home that they can be proud of. The State Street Apartment Project, on the other hand, addresses an entirely different housing pressure in the area, the rising student population in Ithaca. The State Street Project, we're hitting a totally different market segment. We are touching on market rate housing that is geared towards students. Now that might seem a little weird because it's not college town. Downtown is actually about 35 to 40% student renters out of its total renter base. And that's one of those things that kind of gets glossed over. As college students get older, more and more move off campus. And as class sizes continue to grow, the number of students moving down the hill increases as well. Cornell student population in 2005 was about 19,500, and the student population fall 2019 was about 22,500. So that's, you know, another 3,000 people who need roofs over their head, too. The State Street Apartments have not yet been approved. That decision will come from the planning board in the spring, and it seems like the project's chances of getting approved are favorable. If built, the State Street project will include 347 apartments made of one, two, and three bedroom units. However, it won't include any affordable units. Instead, the project will be paying into the City Housing Development Fund to supplement the inclusion of such units. When reviewing projects, the Planning and Development Board considers the impact a project would have on housing as well as affordability. According to Brian, the inclusionary zoning aspect of a project is a new consideration. Inclusionary zoning would encourage private developers to integrate affordable units into market rate developments, creating a higher supply of affordable housing. The trick um, with that that is causing some consternation is that a developer can pay a fee to avoid having a certain percentage or even no affordable units inside their project. And we've seen at least a few of them already outright say, but we would rather pay, you know, some fee to your community housing development fund than include these in our project. 
So, what is the City Housing Development Fund? That is a collaboration between Tompkins County, the City of Ithaca, and Cornell. And essentially, they have committed to helping with the construction and rehabilitation of affordable housing units. That was Justina Federley, the Strategic Communication Manager with Ithaca Neighborhood Housing Services, or INHS. INHS is a local organization dedicated to expanding housing opportunities for low to moderate income residents through safe and affordable housing programs. Financing is a huge roadblock because there's only so many um, opportunities for us to apply for federal tax subsidies. And that's how I'd say probably 70% of our development is paid for. The City Housing Development Fund creates one stream of money to fund affordable housing projects, such as the one developed through INHS. It also helps them out when they apply for state grants. But Brian Crandall doesn't put it above scrutiny. If they're just going to buy their way out, then that's kind of defeating a lot of the purpose of inclusionary zoning. Justina, however, was not so worried about this. There's just different needs for different people, and we're focusing on creating housing for low to moderate income families. I think the fact that higher end developers notice that need and are giving to that, I think that that speaks volumes. Both Brian and Justina feel confident that county leadership has this housing crisis at the forefront of their minds and are ready to take new approaches to solving this issue. But... You know, you really have to look at things on a case-by-case basis when it comes to development in Ithaca. You really have to be careful not to paint a brush with everything going on. To address the housing issues in Ithaca holistically, developments must cater to each of the three prongs. Rising student populations, rising retirement populations, and economic growth. The planning board will most likely continue to strike this balance by working to encourage inclusionary zoning without losing the revenue that the private developments bring in. If developers continue to avoid such zoning and instead use the Housing Development Fund as a way out, we may see some restrictions set around this issue. So we really need to find a way to drive those rent prices down and create more affordable housing so families can live in homes that they deserve. If you are interested in following this project or future planning board meetings, the board meets on the fourth Tuesday of each month at 6 p.m. Find the meeting minutes and more information at cityofithaca.org. The music you heard in this piece is from Blue Dot Sessions. For WRFI, I'm Haley Aldrich. And now this is where the rest of that live show begins. And I'm handing it back to Esther Rekusen. You were just listening to reporter Haley Aldrich taking a look at the pressures squeezing Ithaca's housing market. Now we're going to settle into a conversation with Tompkins County Poet Laureate Dr. Christine Catano. She shares her thoughts on the meaning of the position, how she teaches the craft, and of course, we hear some of her poetry. WRFI contributor Pamela Tan brings us that conversation. On January 19, 2021, the Tompkins County Legislature appointed Ithaca College's Dr. Christine Catano as the county's 10th Poet Laureate. I spoke with Christine on February 5th about her new role. Christine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us here at WRFI. Sure. 
in a hyped up style, like a boxer being introduced as they're walking into the ring. How would someone introduce you to a crowd of ecstatic poetry fans? <laughs> uh, so that's that's a hard, hard one for me to do. When you ask that, like the first image that I get in my head is of basketball players being introduced. That's like my sports reference point. Nice. So I think of like the basketball players coming in and they tell their height. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a boost. So I'm five, five, I'm going to say I'm five, six. (laughs) And I'll say at five, six from Santa Monica high school in Santa Monica, California, it's Christine Catano. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Thank you very much. And you are the Poet Laureate of Tompkins County. I think it's interesting. Many of our listeners may have seen and heard Amanda Gorman, the National Youth Poet Laureate, at President Biden's inauguration. What do Poet Laureates do? I think the Poet Laureate can do basically anything that they want to do, which is a fun role and a fun position to be in. Amanda Gorman obviously has put Poet Laureates sort of on the radar so people know that they exist and that they have roles in society. I think one of the things we can take from her reading is the reminder that poetry can have real social impact, that it's not just this aesthetic form that feels distant or unrelated to the world that we live in. But in the poem that she read, she reminded us that poetry always responds to the real world and poetry hopefully can inspire people to go out and take action to make a better world. So maybe that's one of the roles of the Poet Laureate is to take poetry off the shelf. I know that poetry can often seem inaccessible. It can seem foreign. It can seem like something you had to study when you were in school and now you don't have to worry about it anymore. But I hope that as a poet laureate, I can remind people that poetry is not this foreign thing, but it's something that can be part of our everyday lives. So Christine, you teach at Ithaca College. Yes. When you are teaching your students about poetry, what is your approach? My approach has shifted over the years and it shifts from class to class. Um, Right now in my poetry workshop, I think the main thing I'm trying to get my students to feel is how to just experience a poem. I know that we're in a classroom setting, so there's the pressure to feel like you have to get the right answer, you have to get the right interpretation, uh, you have to memorize X, Y, Z aspects of the poem for a test, but I'm trying to break us out of that and have them recognize that they have all the knowledge and skills that they need to appreciate a poem in the same way that we can appreciate just a piece of music that we hear on the radio, or if we go to a museum, we can see a painting and maybe we don't have all the vocabulary to describe the experience of the painting, but we can still feel it. We can still have that initial bodily reaction to a work of art. So I'm trying to get students to feel that with poems. And so we go through a poem and I've been asking them, where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your head? Do you feel it in your hands? Do you feel it in your chest? I had one student say that they felt it in their eyes, which was kind of interesting. And it's just 
bringing it back to that initial experience that I think can help us access poetry in a way that doesn't feel so scary. It is interesting. I think about a couple of things. I took a wine appreciation course, and I also took a a bird watching course. And in both of these had in common, the more that I learned how to appreciate where I was feeling, for example, the wine in different parts of my tongue, and really tasting it that way, and also learning to hear or see things that I wouldn't normally hear or see things when it came to birding, really helped enhance the experience. And it sounded like you're doing this for poetry. Yeah, I, that that's a great example. Like you don't have to be an expert to drink wine and appreciate it. Like you can have that initial experience with it. But then, yeah, the more that you learn about it, the more that you're taught to notice and experience, then the richer that experience can be. That's great. And so full disclosure, I was on the panel that selected you to be the poet who would be presented to the Tompkins County Legislature for the Poet Laureate appointment. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, well, it was my pleasure to be asked. It was completely an honor to have you nominated for the role. So one of the poems you submitted to the panel was titled To California. Is that something you'd be willing to read for us? Yeah, sure. I would be happy to read it. All right, so this is called To California, and the first line of the poem is taken from the poem To Florida by the poet Jessica Jacobs. To California, one, Los Angeles, California, 2002. In the citrus light of winter, I walked barefoot on your gray shore, the wet sand packed hard as concrete, my footsteps leaving no prints. December, I should be in algebra, but have ditched again to stroll the boardwalk through a hall of abandoned carnival games, plastic bags cinched around the necks of gruesome-eyed teddy bears, the white noise of the water, I'm sure will one day swallow my father's ashes, the house I live in, this small inheritance dissolving, a cube of sugar on a hot tongue. Two. Syracuse, New York, 2008. I step into my first winter wearing boots that trap my ankles like plaster casts, sleep with the sheet pulled up like a mask to warm the air I breathe. A spear of ice threatens from the overhang above our third story window, hardening, not sharpening until spring. And still, when I think of cold, the coldest I've ever been, I remember California, 50-something degrees. I'm 16, standing barefoot in the December ocean, palm trees dropping brown fronds the size of surfboards. My father alive for another year, though I don't know this then, though how did I not know the water churning around my ankles, turning my body to stone. Three, Ithaca, New York, 2020. In a book I'm reading, the author states we each carry a province within ourselves, a place we can never leave. California, I never wanted you because I knew you never wanted me, never the girl in the postcards, sun ablaze like spun candy, sugar melting down her golden shoulders. No. Invisible, local, unsmiling daughter of the immigrant, ungrateful daughter of the dead and dying, but where else can I stake my claim? Over a dozen years gone, now an expert at shoveling snow, a master of the hunched ice walk, 
but still surprised by seasons, still holding out a gloved palm for the first snow. And in that province nestled inside, still 16, walking that gray beach alone. Thank you, Christine. This resonated with me quite a bit. I feel like I had um, a glimpse into your life and your trajectory to this poem. I hope I didn't read too much into that. (laughs) It's a fairly autobiographical poem, so I think that's all right. So how did you go from growing up in Southern California to being the Poet Laureate of Tompkins County? Yeah, so my, my trajectory does follow the poem, at least to some extent. So I was in Los Angeles. I went to college uh, in Southern California. And then I moved to Syracuse right afterwards to get my master's, my MFA in poetry at Syracuse University. I then moved to Texas. And Texas doesn't make it into the poem, but I moved to Texas to get my PhD at Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas, which was quite an experience. And when I was in Texas, all I could think was, gosh, I really want to move back to upstate New York. I really missed seasons. I missed snow. I missed the culture of upstate New York. So when I got the offer from Ithaca College, I was really excited to come back to this part of the country. And I've been here now for six years, and I am now the Poet Laureate of Tompkins County. <laughs> you know, Christine, I, I grew up in Florida, the daughter of immigrants from the Philippines. You and I on the surface share the experience of growing up as Asian Americans from warm parts of the United States who ended up loving and seeking central New York as our homes. So how does your cultural and geographic identity influence your work? As you're talking about that, and as I'm reading the poem, I'm realizing that I think I always felt like a little bit of an outsider, no matter where I was. And that was an experience that that I hadn't really thought about, because when you live in a place and you grow up in a place, you're just used to it. That's normal for you. So I was in LA, grew up in LA. My mother is a Korean immigrant. And so we spent a lot of time in Koreatown, surrounded by uh, other Korean immigrants. So I would go back and forth between these more immigrant enclaves part of the city and places like Santa Monica, where I went to high school, which were not as populated by immigrants. So I knew what it was like to feel part of certain parts of L.A., but I also knew what it was like to feel like an outsider in my own city. It wasn't until I moved to Syracuse that I learned what it was like to be in a place that wasn't as populated by immigrants. And then I realized, oh, so this is what I'm feeling. And when have I felt this before? Have I felt this even when I was in LA? And it just became clearer to me how my Asian American identity had really shaped my experiences, even if I hadn't been completely aware of them when I was living in California. So I think I've just carried that with me to every city that I've lived in. It's it's interesting living in a place like Ithaca, where it is it does have that very small town vibe. It feels kind of like this, this um, closed community, and yet we have such a national and international presence with places like Cornell and Ithaca College bringing in students and people from all over the world. So I feel in some ways very much at home here, right? I feel like I am both part of and not part of the community. And that is a comfortable feeling and a familiar feeling for me. Thank you for that. How would you describe Tompkins County to someone who's never been here? I think... It has that sort of quintessential small town charm. The first image that comes to my head, I don't know if people know this, but it's like Stars Hollow in Gilmore Girls, the TV show. 
where it's like everybody knows each other. Everyone lives in these cool houses. You can walk most places if you're in town. So it has all of that feel, but it also still feels very much connected to the outside world. It doesn't feel isolated. It doesn't feel secluded. So it, it feels both very small town, but also very big city at the same time. That's absolutely what I like about living specifically in Ithaca as well. And mm-hmm. that that feeling of, wow, what an incredible amount of resources that we have here. And in its own small town way, incredibly diverse in terms of students from all different parts of the country and around the world. You know, at the same time, it still feels like a small town, mm-hmm. you know? What hopes and dreams do you hope are fulfilled at the end of your term as Poet Laureate? I want to be maybe realistic or practical about what I might be able to accomplish. I think I would be really happy if there's just one person who maybe on this day and when when are we we're in February 2021 thinks I don't like poetry or poetry's not for me or I don't feel like I have a connection to poetry that if I can change the minds of one person I would be happy and I'm not looking to like jam poetry down people's throats I'm not going to make someone read a poem who doesn't want to read a poem but I I do genuinely believe that if you don't like poetry, it's because you haven't read the right poem yet. So hopefully by bringing poems to people in some way, someone will discover a poem that they connect to and that might change their minds a little bit. Do you feel like there's a gateway poem? Is there something that you feel like is something that is uh, universally in terms of a, 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 a poem a, or a poet that you feel like, you know what, most people can get this. Most people really like this as a good intro to poetry. Or does it vary? I think it varies. When you say gateway poem, I think one poem that comes to mind is the poem Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. And the first line is, you do not have to be good. And I think a line like that, everybody can hear that. And you feel something, maybe, maybe not. But I think when someone says you do not have to be good, I know my ears perk up and I'll say, okay, tell me, tell me more about that. Uh, And that it's a lovely poem that, that just expands upon that and takes, takes us from this sort of individual secluded space of we're always trying to be good. We're always trying to do the right thing. We're always trying to contribute in some way. And she takes that line. You do not have to be good. And she brings us in and says, you are part of the world. You are a human. And that is enough. She says it a lot better than that. Uh, (laughs) You have to read the poem. That's one of my things, right? I can't summarize a poem for you. You have to read it. Heard and acknowledged. Christine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm truly honored to have this conversation with you. Thank you. Reporting from WRFI Community News, I'm Pamela Tan. You just heard WRFI contributor Pamela Tan's interview of the new Tompkins County Poet Laureate, Christine Catano. And that will do it for our program today. If you want to hear more and to get daily updates on COVID-19, head to WRFI.org. This show and all of WRFI's reporting is available anywhere you get your podcasts. That's right, we're not just on the airwaves. Now we are with you on your phones, laptops, all of your streaming devices. 
If you value what you do here and would like to contribute, we'd love your help. We are looking for new volunteers and spring interns. There are opportunities for remote hosting, writing, or producing original stories. No experience necessary. If you want to join our news team, please email news at ithacaradio.org. The headlines at the top of the program were from WRFI contributor Maya Noah. Today's feature producers were WRFI contributors Haley Aldrich and Pamela Tan. Jimmy Jordan is the WRFI news director and executive producer for our program. If you have a question, tip, or comment from the news team, you can reach our team of reporters at news at ithacaradio.org. Call or text us at 607-441-9734. We'll be back next next week and every Friday at 5 to bring you more of the stories impacting our communities. I'm Esther Rakusen, and on behalf of the entire WRFI news team, take care, be well, and have a good evening. Mm-hmm.